special shout out to our sponsor, Qualia. Qualia is the category creating digital closing platform used by thousands of lenders across the country to seamlessly work with their title and escrow partners. By working better together, Qualia is powering lenders to deliver a differentiated closing experience for their clients. Through real-time communications, closing status updates, and workflow management, Qualia brings lenders together with home buyers and sellers, title and escrow agents, and real estate agents for a secure and seamless closing experience. Qualia is proud to have been awarded the Housing Wire Tech 100 Award for real estate as well as CB Insights FinTech 250 Award. Discover how you can work more efficiently with your title and escrow partners at qualia.com forward slash innovators. That's Q-U-A-L-I-A.com forward slash innovators. Well, hi, everybody. If this is your first time joining us, then welcome to the Mortgage Innovators podcast, where we deliver fresh and hopefully entertaining insights on all things mortgage and the innovation propelling our industry forward. My name is Sue Woodard, and every Tuesday, you can find our rotating group of co-hosts or what our producers have dubbed the Innovative Five, who all share our own unique connection to this industry. So before we get into it today, we wanna to make sure that you know that the Mortgage Innovators Conference 2022 is back in person, and it's gonna be an experience you don't wanna miss. So we can't wait for you to join us live May 2nd through the 4th, 2022, at the Hilton Anaheim. And for the latest information on registration, sponsorship opportunities, head to mortgageinnovators.com forward slash conference. That is mortgageinnovators.com forward slash conference. Now this week, we've got a segment featuring representatives from RWM Home Loans, Form Free, and Guild Mortgage from this year's virtual Mortgage Innovators Conference. So enjoy the episode and we'll talk to you again soon. We're going to be talking about uh, meeting the needs of the future borrowers. Um, we're going into different transitions. And I think Dave Batney um, has been with Guild Mortgage for, for six years. Many of us have known him. He served his, his due time on the board of California MBA, uh, been a director for the MBA. And uh, prior to that, Dave, you are very unique in having not only more, you have more lending experience, obviously, with Paymac, but also 21 years with Fannie Mae, which gives us a really broad perspective. I'm, I'm interested in hearing you talk today, too, about the, the pivot to the new administration and how that might affect uh, what kind of borrowers we need uh, to serve today. And uh, Brent, uh, you and I have not talked before, but I look forward to hearing uh, your innovative ideas uh, around, uh, you know, leading the, the digital revolution. We're all searching for that that key to an easy and fluid process for our borrowers, making it, uh, as you say, uh, just a complete hassle-free, paper-free uh, world for our borrowers, borrowers and making it, uh, in the long run, a more inclusive experience. So, so Dave, if you could just take it off and you know, maybe give us a little current feel on, on where you feel and what your company is preparing for. And you know, we've come off this incredible 2020 year. We all have to pivot. You know, what are we thinking about? Sure. Yeah, you said the key word, which is pivot. Um, you know, ending the biggest refi boom in history and getting back to a purchase market. So it, it, it's good for all of us and it's good for the industry to get back to our roots. And um, what's interesting is we look forward into the rest of this year and into the next several years ahead of us. Um, it's a very attractive home buying market. It's a great time to own a home. You know, homes are appreciating every market of the country. Um, but as we think about who will be these buyers buying these new homes, um, you know, the first time home buyers 
are, are critical to our industry. You know, if we don't have new first-time homebuyers coming in, you know, we're not going to have a market at some point. So it's it's a critical and very unique challenges we're facing as we look forward. Um, we have this wave of millennials coming. Um, today in the United States, there's a little over 4.8 million people who are 29 years old. We've never in the history of our country had that many people 29 years old. And what's important about that is typically the average age of the first-time homebuyer is between age 31 and 33. So there's this coming wave of humans that's approaching that age to buy a home. And with interest rates being low and you know feeling to work at home being a you know a way of the future post-COVID, um, it's very possible that a lot of those home buyers won't wait till age 31 or age 33. They may start looking to buy homes this year or next year. So um, really how as an industry, how do we adapt and, and pivot to, to shift to, to serve these new future customers of tomorrow? So as we look forward to first time home buyers, uh, you know, one of the challenges we're going to face is the current underwriting models we have today in the industry, you know, the Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac selling guide Bibles may not really fit all the future borrowers. You know, most of these future borrowers won't be W-2 salary borrowers who have a very easy, you know, three-year history to look at and feel comfortable if they have the income. You know, a lot of millennials will be having suites of income where they might earn income from three or four sources. Each one's part-time, each one can be variable, maybe sometimes volatile. Um, you know, if they're an Uber driver and they get sick for two weeks, they're not earning income while they're sick. So how do you look at a borrower with these you know, non-traditional income sources and, and, and determine their, their ability to, to qualify for a mortgage? <clears throat> the other part in terms of speaking of qualification is credit qualification. Um, a lot of borrowers today don't have FICO scores. I think the industry shows about 12% of all people don't have a traditional FICO score. <clears throat> and according to a Freddie Mac study, about 25% of black borrowers do not have FICO scores. And the people who do have FICO scores with not a lot of credit, that have a very low score, uh, they pay pretty high fees on the different risk pricing grids. So we have to find better ways to determine a person's creditworthiness and look at additional measures beyond traditional FICO. <clears throat> the other challenge we have as we look forward to the borrowers later this year, next year, is just this incredible home price appreciation. It's, it's wonderful if you own a house. Um, it's like trying to catch a moving train though if you're a first-time home buyer and trying to transition into home ownership. And pretty much in any market of the country, home prices are rising faster than people's incomes and faster than their ability to accumulate savings. And so that's gonna be another challenge of, you know, how can people afford down payments in, in, in their appreciating home price markets? So that's gonna be a key area of focus. Um, what we've really seen acutely in the last six months is supply issues. There's just simply not enough homes in the country uh, to, to, to meet demand today. And I was talking with a builder just yesterday in, here in California, and they're saying that every builder in the country today tripled their, their current capacity, their current output. It still wouldn't be enough to meet the demand into the country. So we just have this incredible, incredible shortage that is that by itself will create will require an immense amount of effort in all of our parts uh, with many people outside the industry to find the right solutions um, and that will impact home pricing and home affordability for, for years to come um, as, as we look at the future borrowers of tomorrow um, we're going to see in many markets majority minority borrowers um, 
And today, looking at home ownership rates by, by different racial groups, there's still some very striking low home ownership rates. Um, looking at the, the Census Bureau has really good data they collect. And as, as at the end of last year, uh, as a country, uh, the home ownership rate for white borrowers was 75%. And you know, we're in, in the mid 60s as a country. But in the minority homeownership groups, uh, the black homeownership level is only 44.1%. And that's barely above where it was in 1968 when the data was first being collected. And um, also in Hispanic homeownership group, it's 49.5%. In Asian, it's 59.5%. So there is so much opportunity as an industry to serve these borrowers who really you know, are underrepresented in home ownership. And it's more than just home purchases. It's, it hits to the social fabric of our country. Uh, we just simply cannot have large groups of people on the outside looking in and, and not part of this amazing opportunity to own a home. And, you know, so many studies have shown that really the single best investment any human can ever make in the country is to own a home. The, the, the return on investment you make over your life is the best probably you can make of any investment. But just the emotional and financial stability it creates for people and the ability to accumulate wealth, pass, pass that wealth down through generations, uh, afford college for your children or for grandchildren is just is, is immense. Um, I'm a former board member of Habitat for Humanity, and we did studies that showed the families of people who live in their own homes, like in Habitat homes or any other home, those children will do so much better in school because they have stability. They're not every two years being forced to move and taken away from emotional bonds with friends and neighbors and teachers and coaches, and, and it just helps the children do better. So it, it's important to um, bring inclusivity and fairness and balance to wealth accumulation, and housing is a great way to get there. It's probably the single best way to create wealth generation in all with all people. So um, that's gonna be a huge focus of, of our industry this year. Um, Another item that's a big challenge to focus on is just the cost to originate a loan. You know, the MBA data has shown for the last several years it's up $10,000 on average to originate a loan. And every penny of that 10,000 gets passed on to home buyers. And some of those costs are fixed, some are variable costs, but all those costs get passed on and those fixed costs get disproportionately passed on to lower balance loans just because the costs have to get spread over fewer dollars. So Anything we can do that just brings efficiency and lowers cost to originate really helps increase affordability and then help those borrowers that need to be served to you know, bring up those homeownership numbers. Um, I think the last- hey, David, David, I'd be interested in, in knowing, um, you know, because this conversation we've started at, at our company as well. And I think, you know, part of the getting started is identifying, well, what communities can you affect? and whom in your company is willing to step forward because look at a year like last year, everyone was working overtime and didn't have any time to do anything extra. And I feel an effort like this to reach the underserved communities needs to be consistent. It needs to be done with education. So that's a challenge. Um, so you know, I think we all proactively, whether you're a vendor, a title company, an MI company, I think the solution may lie somewhere in joining together to create consistency around the message on a nationwide basis. So do you have any thoughts around that? 
I think that's exactly how it has to happen. I, I think that in a lot of communities, homeownership seems like it's propaganda. <clears throat> in, in black communities, I saw a lot of their friends and family members lose their homes in 2008. So there's not this sense that, oh my gosh, homeownership is the right thing to do or it's the best idea. So <clears throat> I think establishing trust and having having this be not just a housing industry issue, but have this be a larger societal issue. Mm -hmm. um, it, look at a lot of the unrest and social economic issues that we've faced as a country in the last 12 and 24 months, home ownership is, is, a, is a great solution to many of those issues. You know, people, you know, if you have people who, I, I'll never forget uh, many years ago meeting a person living in a housing project in Pasadena where I live, and they had just bought their home through a Fannie Mae program. And I went back to the family office and looked at the data and that neighborhood was heavily majority rental properties. And I remember when I transitioned from my rental property to my first home, all of a sudden you care. You care about that trash out front. You care about everything in your community and you're going to be vocal and active. And I thought if you can have more people caring and active and vocal, we're just going to create better communities. And people will feel more connected and more working together, whether it's schools or you know, services or anything else that's important to the quality of life. So I think these efforts cannot just be housing industry. It has to be larger parts of society to say like, this is, this is, it, it makes stronger neighborhoods, stronger communities to have everyone vested and feeling part of the growth. You know, gentrification could be a wonderful thing if you own the home and your value is going up. It's a very unpleasant thing if you rent and it's causing your rents to go up and you're getting squeezed out of the community you've lived in for 30 years. So it needs to be a larger solution. So Brent, I wanted to ask you this question about, sometimes I feel that we've leveraged technology to take care of our existing customers. And when you're trying to reach a group of, of individuals who have perhaps never uh, purchased a home before, can't relate to getting online and making out an online loan application, what are we working towards um, from automation and technology to make that a, a smoother transition so that, you know, it's a, it's a process that just, just doesn't feel intimidating. Yes, yeah, so thank you so much. Um, it's, it's really a pleasure to be here and talk about this important issue. Um, you know, let me just start with saying that, that, that traditional legacy credit assessment, eligibility, decisioning, and scoring are just, they're broken. And a majority of people are imprecisely segmented, as uh, just following up on, on David's, David's comments. Um, tens of millions of Americans have traditional FICO scores under the prime dividing line of 720. Millions more lack sufficient deep history for most credit and, and or even a score itself. So they're invisible. You know, the lack of credit history disproportionately impacts underserved people and communities. And so where I'm going with this is where technology plays a role. It's not so much in the in easing the burden of getting the application. It's really understanding who who that that borrower is. Um, so and and working with the lender community and and government um, organizations to to help really understand the problem at a on a on a macro level. So so we can talk about it how credit you know credit scores have systematically excluded people for for decades, um, lenders set artificially high minimum FICOs well above where GSEs are willing to purchase loans. So there's this, 
there's this uncertainty of risk that uh, that that really caters to their, you know, as a private company, they have the authority to do that. Um, so we're understanding the problem a little bit, and as FICO is the accepted proxy, um, we need to begin to look at at those types of things. And how we do that is really through understanding the consumers, what we call the financial DNA, and this is capturing the data about the consumer and empowering credit inclusion in a financially responsible and sustainable way. And this is really about uh, understanding that exclusion is real. Um, it, it, you know, it's been proven and uh, those without high FICO scores are preemptively eliminated. Credit performance and resiliency is misunderstood. Not all 700s um, perform the same and not all 600s are risky. And legacy risk assessment is imprecise. Uh, overstated FICOs create instability, and the credit funnel is really contracting. And so we're seeing borrowers with credit scores below 683 literally receiving just 10% of the loans in our country, uh, the average being in the 780s. And that's a problem. And so the way that we see uh, an approach to creating open and fair uh, credit worthiness and decisioning and understanding of risk is really capturing that data, utilizing tools at the tip of the spear where the consumer has the power, the consumer has the authority to share information, and we can use intelligence on top of data that can help understand not only you know, ability to pay and willing, but willingness to pay, but also residual income and discretionary income. Where traditional models have been broken, technology can share, and these are things we're working on very actively with the GSEs in ways to look at income differently. As we know, the CFPB kind of moved away from a DTI and, and partially because of low income situations. Um, but more importantly, COVID exacerbated a problem whereby you know, income itself has been decimated. And so traditional models of looking at income no longer apply to how we can potentially underwrite a person or understand their ability to pay. Um, so, you know, COVID introduced a lot of things. Um, most importantly, we have to be mindful of the uh, medical uh, situation that, that caused tremendous harm throughout our, our country and world. And, and so we're emp empathetic to that. But it also exacerbated, you know, the problems that, that have been really dormant in our lending industry, in the mortgage industry specifically. And to your point, David, um, home ownership's important. And, and I smiled when you said taking out the trash or, you know, I'm all these years, I'm in, you know, I've, I've, I've purchased a few homes and I can tell you honestly, every single one, there's pride in, ho in home ownership. Um, you, you just have a different sense of how you, you work each day, how you think about other people. It's so it's a sense of raising a family. It's a, there's a lot of things that go with it. Ben Carson even talked about the, the, the value, <laughs> the value of, uh, of, of a person's net worth being, and, uh, you know, ex exponentially greater with home ownership. I think it was like 250,000 in net worth for a homeowner and 5,000 for a renter. So, 
you know, these are all things that we can we can begin to repair with looking at new ways to understand alternative credit risk and resiliency assessment. Um, and these are these are the types of things to promote financial inclusion that we're doing with technology. So we're not just gathering raw data and filling out a form. We're actually understanding the data. It tells a story when we can look back historically over two years and see your incomes trending in a certain direction. Um, we can we can also understand residual and discretionary income. We can help educate renters to understand how they could potentially move into a uh, a home purchase environment. Um, and and technology persisting with consumers so that maybe now's not the right time, but I can understand my ability to pay today, and I can look how I can maneuver uh, different spending expenses and so forth to achieve that desired goal and result in the future. So yeah, we love, look, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, I I just love that. And it really is like, David, you were talking about the, the renters before. I mean, that's our pocket of people. If you're not a homeowner and you're not homeless, you know, you're renting. So we need to get to the renters who many of whom, and I know we've talked in, in our meetings, you know, we're talking multi-generational, you know, families who have never owned a home and they may be in a home. And in order to qualify for that rental, they had to show three times the monthly income, put down a deposit, put down a pet deposit, you know, and they might've qualified for, for home ownership, you know, but I think that, you know, David, it's important as you were saying too, about sustainability. It's not just a, you know, quick transaction. You can't just go in a community and say, oh, we're done. It's ongoing. Yeah, I think a lot of the efforts on sustainability sort of fit back to the quality of life in neighborhoods. If you get a person in the house and make sure they're stable and able to stay in the house and and weather storms in the house successfully, it's good for everybody. Nobody wants to see your neighbor go through foreclosure and see them go through the personal pain of a friend and family or neighbor. So um, the Federal Reserve did a study uh, in 2019, there's 2020, where see how many families could absorb a $400 emergency surprise hit to the personal balance sheet. And only 61% of people could survive that with no problem. And, you know, $400 is not much if you own a home. You know, if you bought a home and one day you wake up and your hot water heater's not working, you have a giant puddle of water on your floor, um, you know, they don't tell you in advance when they're going to stop working. You just wake up one day and they don't work. And, you know, hot water heaters are more than $400 to fix. And so, I think there's a lot we can do. Um, you know, the Biden administration is really trying to promote uh, climate-friendly strategies in the home in the home industry, whether it's energy efficiency or, or climate impact. Um, but it also it, it makes sense from credit risk and affordable housing. If we could put people in homes, but not have four or five appliances that are about you know six months away from hitting the end of their useful life, and give them brand new appliances on day one and build that into the loan amount, which you can do today through GSC programs, you were lowering their utility bills, which makes their monthly payments lower, which makes their affordability better, makes their financial position better. And we take away these surprises that in the next five years, they're gonna have a water heater or appliance blow up on them. So I think a lot of these things really can come together and achieve multiple objectives of, you know, energy efficiency, climate change, affordable housing goals, and just making neighborhoods stronger and making people more stable and financially secure. So there's, there's ways we can be incorporating all these pieces together in a very effective go-forward purchase product and purchase strategy. 
Right. And Brent, are you finding that um, the GSEs, you said you're trying to open some some good conversations with them, are, are they receptive to, to your ideas of, of having this passport kind of information um, that all lenders, you know, could use or have access to? Yeah, no, the, uh, the GSEs have been really <clears throat> thought leaders with respect to some of the direction and course of the I'll say the transformation that's happening. You know, we're in an evolutionary period. And, you know, while it started probably, you know, 2016 is when we really started to see it kick into, into full gear. Um, so we're really still in the early stages of, of uh, an industry that's transforming and it's a massively complex environment. And what we're talking about are the issues that are going to continue to propel technology to streamline the efficiencies. So, yeah, the, the, the GSEs are, are uh, you know, there, there's a little bit of pressure on the GSEs to figure some of this stuff out for coming from above. Um, you know, the administration really wants to, to put more people in homes. Um, I think that's a common cause across our country. And I think that, um, you know, there's some neat ideas as to how we can do that. Uh, some of the ways are, are really, as we talked about, is empowering people with their data and applying intelligence transparency and optionality into the financial transaction so that we can have you know more of a fair and liquid credit market so that that's a big thing now that's going to require investors to get involved and it's not just the gses the gses are big proponents to change um, looking at call it net income versus gross income and how we can understand ability to pay um, in in relation to a correlation to gross income so these are all things that are really exciting, and I think will streamline access to uh, to these to better types of scoring models that will assess people who may not be your traditional W-2s, who don't have your traditional income streams, um, but do have ability to pay. So I know that sounds wonky, but you know there's 45 million consumers today that just don't have a FICO score. So the general the general population of that environment are underbanked, overlooked and quite frankly, left behind. To David's point, um, you know, banks have a responsibility to some degree to open the credit boxes, to reach down. But in their, on, you know, with, with, with respect to their, uh, their business charters, um, they have to protect the rest of the customers from risk. So you have this, this sort of impasse here as to how, to how do we combat that? So I think there's a collective group think that's going on that says, look, Let's understand what the rest of these folks' risk looks like in different ways, and then let's feel comfortable expanding our credit boxes, and the banks get some federal sus sustenance and subsidies and so forth to reach down, to go below where their general tolerance has been, and, um, and we reach those, those underserved uh, clients, which predominantly are people of color, race, you know, there's gender discrimination as well. So we need to remove those secular socioeconomic biases and, and look at data and apply intelligence to usher in that new era of transparency. So the GSEs are about it. Um, I think they have a, a mandate really pushing to, you know, help educate people, uh, how to educate renters to, you know, potentially earn up to a home ownership. Um, so I think there's some neat things we can do together uh, and it and it still is, you know, very early, but understanding a consumer's financial DNA sits at the core. Uh, and I'm really delighted to be working uh, with that information as some of the pioneering 
ideas that are are generating this new thing this new thought processes yeah some of it i'm hearing and you know it's it's familiar right david i mean residual income that's kind of gleaming from va a little bit uh, non-traditional income back you know 30 years ago if, if they had one uh, piece of credit you'd go and you'd get bills from their phone company you know their video store uh, so i'm hearing that these are these ideas are it's awesome because it's it's very doable um and i think that um you know you're more about your credit score and and my loan officers uh hate it when we say sorry it uh, has to be 640 got to be 620 you know and they might have just had one one little blip you know that turned that credit score you know down and it really wasn't that important and it was a single thing but from a risk standpoint brent to your point you know, I got to watch my bottom line. I can't take back a lot of loans, you know, as a, as a business owner. So it's, it's, uh, it's interesting for sure. Well, yeah. and I think, I think, it, you know, just to, sorry to com comment, that's where the, that's where the intelligence on top of data comes in. That's where artificial intelligence, natural language processing and machine learning has really expanded our, our ability to understand, you know, these, these, uh, these broken models and, you know, and, and look at and, and apply, you know, literally new methodologies of intelligence to look at some of the same data, but interpret it differently. And, and you know, it's, it, it, it's interesting. There was a, there was a great quote uh, put out on, a, I think it was on a LinkedIn, um, which it was a, a gal who said, I just got turned down for my uh, $950 a month mortgage payment. Um, so I guess I'll continue paying my $1,400 a month rent payment. And I, I think that kind of sums it up, you know? Yeah, just to add to what Brent said and to his earlier point, um, technology can really take the data we have and help us be smarter in how we use it. And, and your example, residual income, you know, the idea is not new. It was just a very labor-intensive paper process to, to, to get it and calculate it and, and make sense of it. And think about today, like we use an LTV FICO grid to price quite a few loans today. That is a very crude two-dimensional credit model. <laughs> and, and data and, and, and artificial intelligence can help us make much better accurate decisions. And the point Brett made earlier that FICO scores don't always predict default is a great point. You know, a FICO score by itself, if it works correctly, creates the probability of default. It doesn't predict the severity, but it predicts the probability of default. So that's great if you have a mortgage with one borrower and one salaried person. But what if you have a mortgage where there's four people on the note, you know, a family that's pulling the resources, maybe different generations, and maybe they all have 680 FICOs, but if one of them loses their job, the other three can kick in. And for them, this house is like their dream. This is not just some random investment they're going to walk away from that family will do whatever it takes to make their payments. And so the credit risk of four people with 680 FICOs does not necessarily match these historic, you know, single borrower 680 FICO default models. So that's an example, maybe a simple example, but this is where big data, looking at more data than maybe humans could put together in a two dimensional grid, but that's gonna be the answers to making the right decisions and better quality decisions. I agree. So, Brett, you know, since this can't be done overnight, legislation, as we know, always has sort of this five-year sort of lag. So, as lenders, what would you recommend in the next 
12 months, 24 months? What are things we can do today to make a difference for those underserved communities or, or borrowers that are getting overlooked? Well, again, I think I think technology has a a play, a big role. Um, <clears throat> you know, it was interesting. You know, we 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 can look back and over time and and recognize transformative uh, technologies. You know, the cell phone, for example. I remember in the mid '90s when the early large box phones came out, and you know, it was only for the elite only for the ultra wealthy had had the car phone in the box right and then and but it stood it stood to reason that this form of communication would transform the way people communicated with each other and so early adopters could understand and see forward and say everybody's going to have a phone um which today you know is obvious obvious hindsight right so i think what we know now is that digital data is it exists and using that data and applying the intelligence, it's actually happening right now. And so where we can see a picture of that, like I said, that 680 performing like a 720, um, those windows of opportunity are performing and they don't require necessarily uh, legislation change, really requires a lender appetite for change. <laughs> and we've got to have an appetite for change. We've got to, to David's point and to your point, I mean, the whole point of inclusion is to suggest that home ownership is important. It's important for many, many, many reasons other than just making a transaction and making some money. Um, these are these are life changing events. Um, you know, I'm reminded of Ben Carson again at one of the NBA conferences talking about how that initial home of that uh, that that young black man who who saved everything up, bought the house, and was able to provide in equity a college education for his children. And then he was able to buy the next house and, and so on and so forth. And how that equity in that home provided for a family that could grow and extend into you know great things. And so it starts with the home. Everything in our country revolves around the home. So lenders today, you know, need to 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 understand that if 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 Fannie and Freddie are buying 650s, well, then they need to come off the 700s. And what we're going to try to do is give you the technology to be able to see that, even if it's just a lead opportunity. And you, uh, but, but, but I think there's technology today will give you the transparency. And then we need leadership in these lending organizations to maybe come off their numbers a little bit and to start thinking about humans and, and what the opportunity and responsibility we have to put people in homes. So lenders really hold the keys. And again, it's, it's, it's about, this is business, right? It's where business meets humanity. And I think that the government is suggesting that, hey, we'll help you, but we need we need help from the top. And I think that will, in essence, the technology, embrace the technology, and then take a put a toe in the water to help the fellow man and woman. Well, Brent, that's that's very pointed and it puts it right back on me, the business owner. I need to, to look at it some of those levels and to consider, but it would be interesting to have more data to back that up so we feel comfortable with that, right? But uh, definitely something that, you know, we're always willing to change. We can always count on our industry challenging us every single minute of the day. But David, thank you so much for your time. Brett, nice talking to you as well. May everyone have a great day.
Hey, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. So if you like what you heard, make sure to subscribe to the Mortgage Innovators YouTube channel or wherever you podcast, and we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye.